continues, and in this series we're looking at the book of Acts, and we're going through the book of Acts chapter by chapter, and Acts, like every other book in the Bible, is not written just to give us a historical account of things that happened in the past. Acts is written to tell us, to show us about God's power, that God's power is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when we read through the book of Acts, we can respond in several ways. First of all, we can give thanks to God for the wonderful things that he's done in the past, and we should. That's a good way to respond to Acts, but we should not stop there. After we give thanks for what God has done in the past, we also should seek him, that he would display his power in the same way as he did in the past in our day, in our lives, and through our church. Today, our message is entitled, Showing the Spirit's Power. So let's just review where we are at in the book of Acts. Last Sunday, we looked at the life of Stephen. Stephen was mightily used by God, and Stephen gave his life as the first martyr, and he was actually stoned in the city of Jerusalem. And after Stephen gave his life, a great persecution broke out. Now, in in your bulletins, there's a white page in the middle. You can pull that out. It has the scriptures written out as well as the outline. I encourage you to, to take some notes there. On the back are study questions that we go over in the life groups, and you can use those on your own to dig in a little bit deeper. Acts 8 verse 1 says, On that day, the day that Stephen was killed, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And so this great persecution broke out. Uh, Believers were being harassed. They were being beaten. They were being thrown into prison, and some were even being killed. And so the believers thought the best thing to do was to leave that place, to leave Jerusalem. And so they went out to Judea and Samaria. Did they go simply into hiding? Well, not at all. The Bible tells us what they did. Verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever. You might want to underline that word wherever they went. Wherever they went, they preached the word. They were witnesses for Jesus Christ. The apostles remained in Jerusalem for the time being. And so those that went out were not the apostles, were not the twelve. But they didn't remain quiet. They were bold witnesses for Jesus Christ everywhere they went. And what was the core message that the early church presented? The apostles and now all these others that were scattered. The core message, I believe, that the believers presented was summarized in Peter's message on the day of Pentecost. Let's look at Acts 2.38. Peter replied and said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we've been talking in the book of Acts a lot that Acts 1.8 is the main key verse of the book of Acts, and I believe that's true. You receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. But Acts 2.38 is pretty important as well. It's really, in my mind, a second key verse of the book of Acts. It reveals God's plan of empowerment for the early church, God's plan of empowerment for each and every believer, and it consists of three parts. First of all, The message of the gospel is that every person needs to repent, put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and become a disciple of Jesus. That's number one. Number two, every believer that has believed needs to be baptized in water as a sign of their commitment to Jesus Christ. And number three is every believer needs to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit to be empowered by 
to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Sometimes we wonder, why did the early church spread so fast and see such great moves of God? Well, each and every person went through these three steps. They were empowered by God to live the life that He had created them to live. And so I believe that each of these elements is necessary for people today to effectively live for Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit. Now last Sunday we looked at the life of Stephen. Stephen was not an apostle, but God used Stephen in miraculous ways. He did signs and wonders among the people. And today we're going to look at another, another disciple of Jesus Christ. Again, he was not an apostle. His name was Philip. And so he moved away from Jerusalem and God used him also in performing signs and wonders. Now, why does God use somebody to perform signs and wonders? I mean, is it just random that God, I'm going to use you, or I'm going to use you? Is it just random, or, or what is going on here? Let's look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. God's Word tells us to follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. And we definitely can't do a whole teaching on spiritual gifts this morning, but when you're used in signs and wonders, as Stephen was and Philip was, they were moving in spiritual gifts. One of the gifts is the gift of healing. They prayed for people and they were healed, often dramatic ways. And so what does God's Word tell us to do? It tells us to eagerly desire spiritual gifts, to pray for them, to seek them, to ask, to knock. And when we do, God's Word says, those who ask, seek, and knock, they'll receive. And so God empowers people who seek after more in their lives. If you're just comfortable going along, everything's fine, I don't need any more, then we are not going to receive everything that God has for us. But those who seek to be used by God in powerful ways, God answers those prayers. And so my prayer today is that as we look at what happened in the life of Philip, it would inspire us to seek after God, to be used in the same way that Philip was used in our own lives, in our own day, and in our own church. And so today we're going to look at some principles on sharing the Spirit's power. First of all, we need to share God's Word everywhere. Acts 8, verse 5, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. Now again, let's just review a little bit. Back at the beginning of last Sunday's message, we talked about how there was a problem with widows in the church. The widows... Uh, the Grecian widows were not being fed like the Hebraic or Jewish widows were, and so it caused friction, it caused discord in the church. And so the apostles appointed seven men to take care of the widow issue, okay? And these seven men were listed there. The first one listed was Stephen. The second one who was listed was Philip. And today we're going to look at Philip. And so Philip worked and took care of this widow issue. The church was united. It was moving forward in Jerusalem until uh, Stephen was martyred and persecution broke out. And then this same Philip that was dealing with the widows left and came to Samaria. And when he got to Samaria, what did he begin doing? He began preaching that Jesus Christ, the one who'd been crucified on a Roman cross, was alive not only was he alive, but he was the Messiah. He was Christ, the anointed one. And Philip didn't just preach God's word like the apostles and Stephen. He performed miraculous signs. He knew that miraculous signs get people's attention. Verse 6, 
When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. And so we have two things going on here in the ministry of Philip. First of all, he was preaching God's word. He was preaching the truth of God's word. He was exalting Jesus Christ. That's the first things mentioned in his ministry. He was proclaiming Jesus Christ. And so they heard the message that Philip spoke. And secondly, they saw something happen. They saw the miraculous signs that Philip did through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so these miraculous signs got people's attention. Was this something new? What happened in the ministry of Jesus? He preached the word of God. He did miraculous signs. It got people's attention. They brought their friends, their relatives, their neighbors, and the ministry went on and on. The same thing happened in the ministry of the apostles. When they worked with Jesus and after he ascended into heaven, and that was happening not just in the apostles' lives, but in the lives of Stephen and the lives of Philip. And so there was a lot of teaching that these miraculous signs were only for the apostles. And we see that disproved over and over again in the Bible, in the book of Acts. It's for every believer. Now, what were the miraculous signs that Philip did? Well, people were delivered. People were healed, and it confirmed the word that he preached. Verse 7 and 8, with shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. And so the first of the miraculous signs that are mentioned here that were done by Philip was the casting out of evil spirits. Evil spirits, another term is used in some translations, is demons. They're the same. Uh, evil spirits and demons are synonymous. Is this something new? Well, if you read through the Gospels, it was part of Jesus' ministry. Over and over again, he dealt with demons, uh, setting people free from the power of the devil. The apostles did the same. And sometimes people wonder, do evil spirits still exist? A few of us know they do. <laughs> of course. I know there are angels that obey God's command and do his bidding. There are angels in this room right now. I can't see them. And on the other side, under Satan's command, there are evil spirits and demons. And they're here today just as they were thousands of years ago. And we battle them even though we can't normally see them with our eyes. And so prayer can set people free from being oppressed, from being possessed by evil spirits or demons. And that's what Philip was doing. Second type of miraculous I mentioned here is healing. Evil spirits can cause illness, but not every illness is caused by an evil spirit. And so mentions healing as a separate category here. And people are healed of all kinds of illnesses, all kinds of sicknesses through prayer and the power of the spirit in the ministry of Philip. And so those miraculous signs that accompanied Philip's ministry confirmed God was setting his seal of approval on the word that Philip was preaching, that Jesus was the Messiah. And so we see the word and the power of the Spirit working together and having great impact in this ministry of Philip. Now let's think for a minute what it takes for a person to be healed or delivered by the Spirit's power. What had to happen? Well, obviously, people who had problems, people who were sick, they had to do something. They had to come 
and see, have somebody pray for them. In this case, Philip. They heard Philip was in town. He was preaching. They had to come into his presence and make it known that they needed prayer, that they needed help. They had to humble themselves. I mean, it's a humbling thing. I need help. I'm having this issue in my life. I'm sick. The doctors can't do anything. Can you pray for me? Now, some people don't seem to understand that everyone's prayers are not equally effective. And, and some people get upset with that. And they say, well, I prayed for it. Are my prayers good enough? And the fact is that God has chosen to distribute various spiritual gifts, and the distribution is not equal. And 1 Corinthians makes that very clear. Some people have this gift, some people have another gift, and that's why we need one another. And so there's no single person here, the only person who ever walked the face of this planet who had every spiritual gift operating was Jesus. And each of us, nobody has it all. And so we need one another. And there are going to be times in each of our lives where we need somebody else to pray for us that we can't handle ourselves. And we need to humble ourselves and ask for prayer at those times and believe God that He's going to use somebody else to bring about healing, deliverance, or to answer our prayers as we humble ourselves. So if you have a need for healing, if you have a need, or if you know somebody who needs healing, I encourage you to humble yourself, come forward for prayer at the end of a service. It's a wonderful way. We've seen many people healed. Uh, oftentimes, repeated prayer is necessary for a healing to be completed. Not every time, but often. Get prayer in your life groups as well. Humble yourself in a life group and say, hey, I, I need prayer. And let people pray for you. And when God moves in your life in answer to prayer, be sure to give him the glory. Don't keep it to yourself. Let somebody know. That's one of the reasons that God heals people. That's one of the reasons that God moves in our lives so that we can tell somebody else. We can be a witness and other people will come to Jesus Christ. So share with your life group. We have opportunities for sharing on Sunday mornings in God's stories. We had uh, Paul share. God's healed his back a number of weeks ago and uh, we put that out on Facebook and a lot of people are, are seeing that and being drawn to God through that. Now we need to be able to discern counterfeit signs. Not all things that appear to be miraculous come from God. Our story continues in verse 9. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is the divine power known as the great power. And so in this region of Samaria, there was a man named Simon. And Simon had a pretty high standing there. He practiced sorcery or magic. That's really the same thing. Now, what is magic? I mean, today, you know, we have ma magicians and people that do things, and it's just sleight of hand and various illusions they have. But back then, and well, even today, too, there are true magicians or true sorcerers. And magic is a technique of, of attempting to manipulate supernatural sources or forces to attain one's own end. 
And so magicians or sorcerers, they often use incantations or spells to try to, to cause things to happen supernaturally, the things that people want them to do to, to cause supernatural forces to obey their commands. Sometimes magicians claim, even today, to have healing power. You can come to them and they, they will make some incantation or perform some spell to attempt to heal you. Now when the Bible talks about magicians or sorcerers, the source of the power of a magician or a sorcerer is not from God. Uh, this is demonic power, power of evil spirits that can operate in magicians and sorcerers. Now how can we tell that Simon's magic, how can we tell that his supernatural signs were counterfeit and not from God? Well, let's look carefully at what was Simon's message. Let's look at these verses. What did Simon say? He boasted he was someone great. Well, there's a red flag right there, isn't it? Simon did these things and he boasted he was someone great. And so we've, we've understood that signs, supernatural signs, point to something. So what were the signs of Simon pointing to? Him. I'm great. I'm the great power of God. Look at me. I'm doing wonderful things. The signs were pointing at Simon and people were deceived. They thought Simon had divine power. In fact, it's not totally clear what this means, the divine power known as the great power, but perhaps he claimed to be the son of God. We're not quite sure what it means, but obviously he was something a whole step above the average person. Now Philip, on the other hand, preached that people should believe the good news of Jesus. The signs that Philip did pointed to Jesus Christ. Verse 12, when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. And so Philip's message was very different than Simon's. Philip preached not about himself. He preached about the kingdom of God. He preached about Jesus Christ. And the things that he did pointed to, not to Philip, but to Jesus. And they, he always made it clear that the one who did the healing was Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the signs that Philip performed didn't cause people to exalt Philip. They caused people to believe, to believe in Jesus, to put their faith and trust in him, to believe the good news of Jesus Christ, that he died, he'd risen, that people's sins might be forgiven. And after the people believed, what happened? Well, they were baptized in water. They were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. And so people who became believers as they heard Philip and saw the things that he did, they took as their next step to be baptized in water. And so this morning, if you're a believer here this morning, if you believed in Jesus Christ and you have not yet been baptized since you have become a believer, I'd encourage you to sign up on your Connect card. We just had a baptism, I don't know, what was it, a couple months ago? And we get you on the list for an upcoming baptism. You can sign up on your Connect card. Now, infant baptism, many people have been baptized as infants. Infant baptism is not biblical. You can look through your Bible from Genesis to Revelation. There's not a single incident of someone being baptized as an infant. An infant, infant cannot have personal faith in Jesus Christ. And so if you've been baptized as an infant and you're a believer here today, you still need to be biblically baptized 
after you've become a believer in Jesus Christ. Now Simon himself believed and it says he was baptized. He was astonished by these great signs and miracles that Philip was doing. Now were Simon's signs just fakes? I really don't think so. I've already kind of alluded I didn't think so. Uh, the Bible clearly states that Satan and his evil spirits have supernatural power. And these demons or evil spirits can lure people into believing that they can be controlled by magical or occult spells. And so people will learn how to cast these spells. And sometimes things happen. I mean, they really happen. Supernatural things happen. And they get lured into this. And so some supernatural effects do happen by way of evil forces. These evil forces often masquerade as you know, good spirits. Or people talk about spirit guides. You ever heard of that? And different things. Or even they talk about angels that and demons can appear, the Bible says, as angels of light as well. And people can be deceived. And the end result is when you fool with magic, when you fool with sorcery, you end up being controlled by the very forces that you attempt to control. And oftentimes these people end up being oppressed or even possessed by the spirits that they have attempted to manipulate through magic or sorcery. And so we need to learn how to discern counterfeit signs and not be lured into believing them. I'd like us to watch a, a video from the AD series on NBC at 8 p.m. This is going to be shown tonight. And it depicts the confrontation between Simon and Philip. So I encourage you to watch uh, on Sunday nights at 8, 8 p.m. I think this is number 7, uh, episode 7 in a, in a series of 12. And what strikes you as you watch that has kind of come alive? That What did it take for Philip to bring healing, to work this miraculous sign? I think it took great faith. It always takes faith, great faith to step out and to pray for somebody and to trust God to do something. The fact that there are counterfeit signs does not invalidate true signs, the existence of true miraculous signs today. And so I'd encourage you to, uh, over in a brochure rack on the table on my left, we have a brochure about spiritual gifts. And if you want to learn more about them, I'd encourage you to take that brochure and read. And so finally, God wants every believer to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, Acts 8.14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. So remember, the apostles, including Peter and John, had stayed in Jerusalem. They were still back there. And they heard the report that the Samaritans had accepted God's word. Many people had believed under the ministry of Philip. And so they sent Peter and John to oversee and see what was happening and give their wisdom and input into uh, Philip's life and the new believers there. So they wanted to make sure that these new believers started off their lives with Christ, that the church was founded in, a, in, a, in the best possible way. They understood that, this, that spirit baptism was not automatic. Verse 15, when they, that's Peter and John, arrived, they prayed for them, uh, the new believers, that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet 
come upon any of them. They'd simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And so what was going on here? Well, the Samaritan believers, they had heard the gospel. They'd heard the good news. They had believed in Jesus Christ, put their faith in him. They've been baptized in water, but they still lack something. And Peter and John immediately picked it up. Something was missing here. They lacked the power of the Spirit. They not received the Holy Spirit as the apostles and the other people had on the day of Pentecost. And most likely, Philip was present there on the day of Pentecost as well. And so Peter and John immediately discerned that this was a major issue with these new believers. And so they wanted to rectify the situation. They brought them around themselves. They laid hands on them. They prayed. And the new believers received the Holy Spirit. And so it's clear from this incident and and others that just believing in Jesus Christ, (coughs) believing in Jesus Christ is the, the new believers are not automatically baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we also learn it's not difficult to tell when somebody's been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Peter and John understood that speaking in tongues was the initial evidence. Let's go on in verse 18. When Simon saw that the Spirit, whoops, there we go. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And so when we read this, we have to ask ourselves the question, how did Simon know that the Spirit was given by the laying on of the apostles' hands? You can't see the Holy Spirit. How do we know the Holy Spirit was given? Well, this verse tells us that Simon saw something. And we know from the day of Pentecost and other examples in the book of Acts, the common initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that the person receiving it spoke in tongues. That's something that somebody can see, something, something that somebody can hear. And so Simon, as with this magician sorcerer background, thought, well, I've got some money. He was probably very wealthy because he undoubtedly charged to perform his signs. I think that's pretty, not a bad speculation. So he had a lot of money, and he thought, well, if I give Peter and John some money, perhaps they'll give me the secret spell that I can use since I lay hands on people and they'll receive the Holy Spirit. Now, obviously, this request is flawed in many, many ways. And uh, Peter didn't grant it because the power of the Spirit cannot be bought with money. It's a gift. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. And so here the baptism of the Holy Spirit is called by Peter a gift from God. It's not something that can be bought with money. It's not something that can be earned. It's a gift that simply must be received as all gifts from God are received through faith. Peter calls on Simon to repent of his sin. His sin was his desire to use God's power for his own ends. Just as he used magic for his own ends, now he wanted to use the power of God for his own ends. And we don't have the verse here, but Simon did not follow Peter's instruction to repent and pray. He simply asked 
Peter to pray for him. Rather a strange request. And so I believe we must conclude that Simon did not continue as a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ. We have no further mention of Simon in the book of Acts, nor in the rest of Scripture. Church history records that Simon developed his own cult and followers. They claimed to be Christian, but they obviously taught a different message and preached a different gospel. And so the account of these first Samaritan believers, it follows the pattern spoken of by Peter at the day of Pentecost. What is the pattern? Salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Secondly, water baptism as an act of obedience. And thirdly, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit to receive power to witness. It, to witness. The initial evidence of tongues is not spoken in this account. It's implied there was obviously something Simon saw, something that the apostles saw that the believers lacked. What is the gift of tongues? Was given with the baptism in the Holy Spirit as the ability from God to pray to God in a language that you did not learn. It could be a human language. It might not be. When you pray in tongues, it bypasses your mind, which is not a bad thing because our minds get in the way a lot. And oftentimes, we do not know God's will. We do not know how to pray with our minds. And when the Holy Spirit prays through us, he prays the perfect will of God. And so it is a wonderful gift. Once a believer has been baptized in the Spirit, they can pray in tongues whenever they choose. It's not something that has to come upon you. It's something that resides within you. It should be a daily part of the Spirit-filled life. And so today we've looked at the life of Philip, one of the seven, often called the first seven deacons. The word is not used, but they served in the church. They served the Jerusalem church, but... Philip was used by God even as he went to the, the region of Samaria. He preached God's word. He did miraculous signs and wonders. Many people were saved through his ministry. And we learn today we need to be able to discern counterfeit gifts. The Bible tells us that in the last days, the, the prevalence of counterfeit gifts is going to increase. And people are going to be led astray following people doing things that appear to be supernatural, but they are done with a power that is not from God. So we need to be able to discern what is from God and what is not. In order to live spirit-filled, powerful lives, we need to be saved, obviously. We need to be baptized in water and baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so I pray that this account of Philip would motivate and inspire us to greater faith and service for Jesus Christ in our own day and time. This morning, if you're not sure that you're a believer, if you're not sure that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you become a believer simply by admitting that you've sinned, that you've done wrong things. Secondly, you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You believe that he died to forgive your sins and he rose from the dead. And you commit your life to following him as your Lord and Savior. So let's bow our heads right now. We're going to pray. If you've never prayed a prayer like that before, I'd encourage you to pray with me. If you feel like you've wandered away from God and you want to recommit your lives, that would be fine as well. Pray something like this. Father, today, I admit that I've sinned. I've done wrong things. I've been living life for myself, not for you. Please forgive me. I believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth, the very Son of God, died on the cross, 
took my sins upon Himself that I might be forgiven. I believe He rose from the dead and lives today. Come into my life. Forgive me. I commit myself to following You as my Lord and Savior all the days of my life. And for those of us who are believers, let's pray as well. Father, we thank You for this story of a man who followed You with his whole heart. For the story of Philip. Give us the courage to share your word everywhere we go, just as he did. We ask that you would extend your hand through our lives, that our prayers might be answered in miraculous and supernatural ways. Not that we would be exalted, but that you would be exalted, that those signs would point people to Jesus Christ. And so we pray that you'd use us to bring healing and deliverance to those who need your touch. Help us to be discerning of those who claim to have supernatural power, may even claim to be Christians, but are operating under a different spirit. And we would pray that we would see more and more people saved, more and more people baptized, and filled with your spirit as we walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.